Welcome to Psychedelicast. Hosted by Clinton Cayley, this show is an interview-based podcast focused on offering listeners in-depth information concerning plant medicines, entheogens, and all subjects tangential to psychedelia. Join us in prying open the third eye. Yo, 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 welcome to Psychedelicast. What's up, guys? It's your boy Clint here, the host of Psychedelicast. Clint Cayley, as usual. Thank you guys for being with us this morning, evening, afternoon, wherever you are in the future, you time-traveling spaceman. Uh, dude, we have a trip sitter for the episode today, none other than Kyle Buller of Psychedelics Today fame. The other half, I know we talked to Joe Moore uh, a couple weeks ago, a super interesting conversation. We're going to pick up right where we left off there with Kyle. Kind of going a little bit different direction, but a fascinating chat nonetheless. I'm so grateful that these guys agreed to come on to my fledgling podcast and grace me with their knowledge, experience, and stories, and uh, just all the great information that these two have uh, have offered to us here on the show. So I greatly appreciate that, Kyle and Joe, if you do listen to this episode. Thank you guys so much. We love you here at Psychedelicast. Um, let's do our normal little kind of house cleaning thing, and then let's talk to Mr. Kyle Buller of Psychedelics today. Thanks for joining us, Psychedelicasters. If yourself or someone else that you know has any project, podcast, business, product, or service that they'd like to promote via Psychedelicast, please reach out to us at our social media taglines. Those are at Psychedelicast on Facebook and Instagram. Or you can email me directly at clintonkaylee at gmail.com. We can discuss promotional packages. We can discuss podcast ad sharing, things like that. Please reach out to me. We are interested in looking for promotions for the show. Thank you. So before we attempt to entice you to join us on our social media platforms like we normally do at this portion of the show, I want to do something a little bit different today. I wanted to shout out some of our top fans on Facebook. I don't think Instagram has this type of functionality, but if it does, I'm unaware of it. So we're going to shout out a few names here. The list is actually quite long. We're getting a really good engagement and traction on Facebook. We're still working on Instagram, Twitter, and we'll get there one day. Uh, some of these names are going to be difficult for me to pronounce. Some of them are even impossible for me to pronounce because they're in a uh, language that I don't speak. But let's rattle off some of these names real quick. These are our top fans on Facebook. Thank you guys so much for engaging with us, for being a part of the community, and for enjoying the pages and show if you listen to the podcast as well. Uh, Fimi Bang Belly. Fimi Bang Bank Belly. We're going to move on. Peter Schultz, Zach Biggs, Julio or Julio Martinez, Clay Harnish, Juan Renteria, Cody Cross, Chris Callens, my boy from back in the day. What up, Chris? Tyson Burgess, Florencia Mayorga, Lilia Gracia, Sarah Tomlinson McMahon, Joey Eby or Ebby, Jake Nordby, Carl Haupt, Christo Sherry, Murat Tamgili, John Servone or Servoni, Kylie Aragunde, Zach Wardlow, Bain Vucinic, Miranda with no last name, William John Brown, Paul Noel, Adam Staples, Kat Hayhurst, Wojtek Wadja, Joshua Ryan, Lance Hogden, Nazim Kruoa, 
Nate Brown, Lee Wilson, Nathan Heater, Bruce Allen, Andy Walsh, Aaron Hazelwood, Arya Sure. That's literally the dude's name, Arya Sure. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, Tim O'Brien, Mike Aylbricht, Ashley Eagle, Nancy Wada, Will Sheldon, Casey Horton, Amy Timms, and finally, Jonathan McDaniel. <clears throat> Thank you guys all so much for engaging on the Facebook page. I really appreciate you uh, being a part of the community and group. If you would like to hear your name rattled off on that list in the future, we'll be happy to do that. Follow us at Psychedelicast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, that's where we kind of like to update and post things and create things and be involved in the community. So come join us there. Also, on your podcatcher of choice, whatever you happen to be listening to this episode on, Go down to the bottom, hit subscribe, drop us a few stars, leave us a review. It helps us reach more people. It helps us do more cool shit. It helps us make a better show. We love you so much. Let's do Psychedelic News today, and then let's chat with Mr. Kyle Buller of Psychedelics today. Thanks again, guys. In Psychedelic News today, we're bringing you an article from MarijuanaMoment.net. This article is entitled, Military Invests $27 Million to Develop New Class of Psychedelics-Inspired Drug. This was published three days ago on June 24, 2020 by a Mr. Ben Adlin. <clears throat> Pardon me, guys. I got a little hitch in my throat. I just started TRT today, Testosterone Repla Replacement Therapy, um, as per my doctor. So uh, I'm feeling a little weird. Um, I just took my first shot this morning. I mean, I'm sure you guys are uninterested in my hormonal imbalances, uh, but that's what my life is like right now. So I'm feeling a little strange. Got a little bit of something, something going on here, but uh, I'm sure that'll all even out. That's neither here, here nor there. I also feel like I'm talking really quickly. That might be a side effect. I don't know. So uh, the successful use of controlled substances such as ketamine and psilocybin mushrooms to treat mental health issues like depression and anxiety has ushered in a new era of interest in psychedelic drugs. But for researchers and clinicians eager to expand such therapies, an obvious question remains. Does treatment with psychedelics necessarily require a psychedelic experience? An international research team hopes to answer that question by researching and developing a new class of drugs that offers the same fast-acting mental health benefits as traditional psychedelics without the disorienting, sometimes uncomfortable effects of a full-blown trip. Funded by $26.9 million from the U.S. Department of Defense's Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA, a new project announced this month, quote, aims to create new medications to effectively and rapidly treat depression, anxiety, and substance abuse without major side effects, end quote. That's according to a University of North Carolina School of Medicine press release. Another quote to continue here by Mr. Brian L. Roth, who is a professor of pharmacology at UNC School of Medicine and the project's current leader. Although drugs like ketamine and potentially psilocybin have rapid antidepressant actions, their hallucinogenic, hallucinogenic uh, addictive, and disorienting side effects make their clinical use limited. Our team has developed innovative methods and technologies to overcome these limitations with the goal of creating better medications to treat neuropsychiatric conditions. Research into the possible therapeutic effects of currently illicit drugs such as ketamine, psilocybin, MDMA, and others has expanded tremendously during the past decade. 
Nonprofit groups such as the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, or MAPS, have led the way, with university researchers and drug makers entering the mix more recently. In September of last year, Johns Hopkins University announced the launch of the nation's first ever psychedelic research center, a $17 million project to study the use of psychedelics to treat conditions such as opioid use disorder, Alzheimer's disease, depression, anxiety, and PTSD. Government interest in psychedelic drugs has also grown. Also in September, DARPA, a federal agency that exists <clears throat> pardon me, to support the development of emerging technologies for use by the U.S. military announced its focused pharma program meant to develop drugs, quote, that work quickly and deliver lasting remedies for conditions such as chronic depression and PTSD, end quote. While that DARPA announcement didn't mention specific substances or even use the word psychedelics, it referred to, quote, certain Schedule I controlled drugs that engage serotonin receptors and that have significant side effects, including hallucination. The press release for the new DARPA-funded project, led by Roth at UNC, mentions ketamine and psilocybin specifically. The team will use both biological modeling and sophisticated computational approaches in an effort to design fast-acting drugs inspired by psychedelics, but free from what researchers call, quote, disabling side effects. There's going to be a lot of quotes in here, guys. Uh, depression, anxiety, and substance abuse affect large segments of the population, Roth said. Rapidly acting drugs with antidepressant, anti-anxiety, and anti-addictive potential devoid of disabling side effects do not exist, not even as experimental compounds for use in animals. Creating such compounds would change the way we treat millions of people around the world suffering from these serious and life-threatening conditions. At DARPA, Dr. Tristan McClure Begley, Focused Pharma's program manager said last fall that the agency's interest in developing such drugs is due to the country's large number of veterans with PTSD and other mental health conditions. A final quote here, It is research we need to undertake given the scale of the mental health crisis our veterans face, he said in September. To continue that quotation, And if it works, the payoff is a completely new, safe, and effective therapeutic option that transforms complex and previously intractable mental conditions into something more acutely treatable. Along with Roth at UNC Chapel Hill, the newly announced research project includes members Giorgio Skiniatis, God damn it, <clears throat> butchered that dude's name, Skiniatis, and Ron Dror of Stanford University, Jean Jean of Econ School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, Brian Schweichet and Nevon Krogan of University of California at San Francisco, and William Wetzel of Duke University. Those are some gnarly sounding names. Those dudes sound smart as fuck. We might want to listen to what they say. That's the end of the article. Uh, there's a couple of things there I'd like to touch on. Uh... What I think that maybe some of these clinicians are failing to understand is that, <clears throat> in my opinion, I'm not a research scientist, but I have researched a lot of psychedelic compounds personally. Um, I think what a lot of these guys are failing to comprehend is that taking the what they claim to be disorienting or uh, confusing, complex psychedelic aspect out of the actual psychedelic experience is not gonna yield you the same mental health benefit that's my opinion um 
it's it will be interesting to see what comes of this and i will be looking forward to that further research without further ado ladies and gentlemen ladies and gentlemen of the psychedelicast universe let's welcome kyle buller of psychedelics today to the show thanks guys Psychedelics Today, a man who needs no introduction, co-host of Joe Moore, who's recently been on the show as well. Welcome. Thank you for doing the show. How are you this uh, morning, afternoon? Yeah, thanks for having me, Clinton. I'm doing well. Yeah, just kind of getting going for the day and doing overall pretty good. How about you? Same, man. Can't complain. Can't complain. Uh, I work overnight and tonight's like my Monday. So, you know, it's one of those days, but it's going to be all right. What do you do? I'm a CT tech. I work in a freestanding, <clears throat> a freestanding emergency room, uh, but I work overnight. Oh, cool. Yeah, those night shifts are pretty rough, I can imagine. Yeah, they started like that, but I've gotten used to it at this point, you know, and I kind of, now that I've transitioned, I kind of prefer it. Um, right. But if they, if someone were to throw a nice day shift at me, I'm not going to say no to get back to like a normal life. <laughs> yeah. Gets It gets you know, weird living like a vampire, staying up while everybody's asleep. Um, so how did, uh, how did you end up here, Kyle? I mean, this, like this, your project psychedelics today in and of itself must be kind of a trip, right? Like you're the co co-host of arguably the largest psychedelically inclined podcast in the history of planet earth. So well, that must be kind of that. um absolutely yeah it 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 has been kind of a trip and a journey i'm not too sure how much joe shared about the project and how things got started um but my journey i guess really started just really exploring consciousness at a young age um it was always kind of tapped into dreams um very in tune with dreams as a young kid and kind of stumbled across meditation when I was 15 through a book called Snowboarding to Nirvana. It was about a, um, a snowboarder who went over to Nepal, ran into a monk, and this monk taught him transcendental meditation. And that kind of opened me up to the idea of like flow states, um, using meditation as a tool um, in snowboarding. I was a swimmer too, so I would try to incorporate that into like swimming as well. So um, that was kind of like my entry point. And then had a pretty uh, traumatic snowboarding accident when I was 16, um, which really kind of cracked me open. And uh, yeah, really got me kind of walking more on this path of understanding consciousness. And that led me to psychedelics later on and did a, a, a bachelor's in transpersonal psychology and just wrapped up my master's in clinical mental health counseling and somatic psychology. So yeah, and Joe and I met along the way. Um, we share the same breathwork teachers and, and wanting to put together a platform really as an archive um, to, I guess, like showcase our teachers work. And then that 
ended up transforming into what is psychedelics today. So it started off with an ar an archive idea, and then l later started to transform into a podcast, um, interviewing folks in the psychedelic space. Yeah, the podcast that we now all know and love. Uh, how long? Uh, I think I asked Joe this. I can't quite recall. How long has psychedelics today been what it what we now know? Um, when we launched. Yeah, we launched our first episode with Brett Green. Um, he was uh, one of the co-founders at Symposia. Symposia, I always say Symposium, um, which is another psychedelic organization. And that launched May 11th, 2016. So we've been doing this for about four years. Nice, very nice. Almost four years to the day. How many episodes have you guys done? Um, ooh, I don't know. I think we're probably either over 200 episodes maybe i don't know i actually have been you on counting. the spot there yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well i start when i intro my episodes i'm always like welcome to psychedelicast episode uh which episode is this because I, this show is obviously fairly new for me but i ran a previous podcast for some years and then i kind of oh, transitioned cool. into this uh i'm kind of inch well not kind of i'm interested to hear a little bit more about this uh nde or this near-death experience that you had when you were younger if you'd like to discuss that if not that's if you've said all you wanted to say that's fine but if there's more there i'm totally open to it um <clears throat> yeah so i was 16 it was uh new year's eve i was a sophomore in high school and Wanted to go snowboarding. Um, snowboarding is just a huge love of mine. I, I skateboarded pretty much all my life and just transitioned into snowboarding and didn't really want to go out to, you know, parties and whatnot um, and just really wanted to ride. And so I went out with my brother and his friend. Um, my brother's friend fell, hit his head. He was wearing a helmet, so he was okay, but he was just a little, like, you know, all over the place. So we went back to the lodge, regrouped. And I just said, hey, I just want to take one more run before we, like, head out of here. Um, kind of being a little selfish. We're, I think we were only on the mountain for, like, an hour, hour and a half or something like that. So I was like, I, I want to, you know, just get one more run in. And if anybody snowboards or skis, it's like, you don't say that. It's kind of like bad luck, which I, I didn't know until after this. Um, so I was going around a turn. I grew up in New Jersey, so I was snowboarding um, over in Pennsylvania. Obviously not big mountains, and the way to get the biggest adrenaline rush is just to go straight down and try to get as much speed as possible. So I was going around a turn, and I was night skiing during the day. It was really warm out, so everybody was like kind of kicking up snow, so there were mounds all over the place. As I, I was going around this turn, you know, um, I was just booking it on my toe edge, and the, just the way the light was casting on this turn, I came out of it, and there was a mound of snow and a blind spot, and as I came up on it, I saw that mound and said, oh shit, if I hit this, I'm going to die. Um, so I tried to turn, I tried to stop, everything was like slow motion, I had like a million thoughts racing through my head, and then I hit this mound, and then, you know, time kind of sped up flew through the air about 30 feet or so nose of my snowboard hit and then my shoulder hit and heard a loud pop um and i thought i snapped a rib and laid face down in the ground for a bit just screaming um i was in so much pain because yeah i heard that pop it was all this pain in my chest so i was like i definitely broke a rib here um my brother and his friend went down to go get the f first aid um, 
in the meantime, I, I was laying there by myself, just like screaming, like, ugh, ugh. and nobody stopped besides two punk snowboarders, like asking me if I was okay and asking me if I had a light so they could smoke some cigarettes. And, um, <laughs> you know, they were like, they were like the last people um, that I thought would stop. And so that kind of comes back to, you know, you should never judge a book by its cover. Um, yeah. Cause I was watching parents and kids whiz by me and not one parent stopped to ask if I was okay. It was these snowboarders that, you know, if you're in the terrain park, they had the image of they're throwing snowballs at you while you're going off jumps or hitting rails and, and calling you nasty names from the lift. Um, so that was like, you know, judgment on them, but those were the guys that stopped and put their snowboards in front of me made sure I was okay, were really just kind of being there with me. And uh-huh. my brother came back probably about like a half an hour later or so and said, you know, nobody's coming for you. And I said, what do you mean nobody's coming for me? Um, and those kids got pissed and they were like, we're going to go down and like go talk to this lifty and, and tell them you guys need to get your shit together. So yeah. luckily right after they left, a random ski patroller came by and you know luckily i was in the poconos and wasn't on a bigger mountain it's always being patrolled but um they ended up taking my try to take my pulse and just check my vitals thankfully they got a toboggan got me down while i was in the first aid uh station they were saying uh you know you're you look a little pale and your pulse is low um but your ribs are fine nothing's broken nothing nothing's bruised but we're just a little worried about you because your vitals are really low. Um, and they said, you know, since your ribs aren't broken or anything, like we think you have internal injuries. And at that moment I said, oh shit, I'm going to die tonight. Um, and so I started praying. Uh, I started praying to God. I, you know, I, was, I didn't really grow up religious or didn't really have like a, a background in faith. And so I was just like, God, please, I don't want to die tonight. Um, 16, too young. And I was, I was very, very afraid. Um, hearing those words, we think you have internal injuries. I mean, that set something off of going, this is, this is fucking serious. Um, after thankfully they medevaced me out and got a helicopter um so thankful that they didn't get an ambulance because i definitely would not be here if that's the case uh but i guess when i left and they were transporting me to the helipad one of the the first aid responders looked at my dad and said your son's in his golden hour he may not make it um so thankfully they medevaced me out and my uncle was waiting at the er for me because he was a first responder um, for the township over there. And, you know, once I got to the ER, my perception on death really started to change. Um, there was more of like a blissful experience coming on. I started having an outer body experience. I felt like I was all throughout the room. I feel like I could feel the emotions and the energy of the nurses and doctors running around. And my uncle was like, you know, standing beside me telling me I was in good care. He knew these people, um, cause he worked with them and, you know, in the background I could hear, I can't get a pulse on him. His veins in his upper body are collapsing. Um, you know, they had to jab this huge needle in my femoral artery to, to try to tap IVs. And I was just sitting there kind of just drifting off thinking like, uh, where I'm about to go. Like I'm about to go on a journey and, you know, I was 
thinking about my uncle. I said, here's somebody that's family, but where I'm about to go, I can't take anybody with me. And even though this person's special in my life, I'm about to embark on something so unique to me. Um, and so they did a sonogram on me, told me I had blood um, all in my abdomen. I had massive internal bleeding and told me they needed to um, find out where it's coming from. So they rushed me to get a CAT scan. <coughs> and uh, so while I was in the CAT scan machine, you know, they just kept telling me not to fall asleep. They're like, don't fall asleep, Kyle, don't fall asleep. And I felt like I was submerged in a, a tub of ice water. I was in so much pain. Um, and the only thing I could think about was just drifting off into like, you know, this other world. Um, and it was a really interesting experience of being in my body, but then I was also on the other side of the room with the doctors. I felt like my consciousness was kind of everywhere. Um, and the more I went inside, it was like the more spacious everything became. It was like the more inward I went, the more outer I would go. Um, kind of like a psychedelic, right? Going inward is kind of also propelling you outward at times. So I don't think it was like that that traditional near-death experience of like being totally outside my body. There was a very internal process going on as well. And that was kind of like the gateway into this outer world, I guess you would say. Um, but, uh, you know, while I was laying there and they kept telling me not to fall asleep, uh, there is a voice or some sort of intuition came to me and I, I describe it as like a, a white ball of light or I don't, these things are always so hard to put into words. Um, and it said, you know, you're going home. You're going back to the stars where we all come from. Um, this physical life is going to cease to exist, but you're going to transition on. This is just a transition. The more you struggle with this, the harder it's going to be. But if you can relax into it, the easier this is going to be. And hmm. at that moment, where have I heard that before? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Very psychedelic. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, the doctors are telling me to stay in this world and this other thing, intuition, spirit. I don't really know what it was, uh, was telling me to, to really let go of this world um, and that it was okay. And, you know, this was, it felt very blissful and beautiful. And I said, oh my God, I'm going home. This is what we all, we're all, we all wait for. Um, so I really started to, to go inward and, and really sit in that experience. And they pulled me out and said, you know, you rupture your spleen. We need to do emergency surgery ASAP. Um, we're going to give you anesthesia. And the last words I remember, they were talking about like needing to shave my chest and my stomach. They're like, should we use an electric razor or a straight razor? And those were the, the last words I remember <laughs> before, wow. before, before blacking out. Yeah. Wow, man. That's quite uh yeah. As you're saying that, you know, I'm remembering situation. I've been in that similar situations to that on the other side. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I can tell you it's quite often as scary for us as it is for the person undergoing that. Um, although you seem to have achieved this kind of otherworldly state. Um, but I've been in that situation before where the vitals don't look good. The skin is going kind of ashy, pale, they're getting cold mm -hmm. and you don't, you don't exactly know what it is. Um, because usually patients come to my emergency room and obviously in an acute situation. And sometimes it's, not that cut and dry. Oh, they wrecked their snowboard and they took a traumatic fall. You know, it can be something as simple as a uh, 
pregnancy issue that won't stop bleeding and then it exacerbates very quickly. And, and anyways, uh, I'm just relating to being on the other side of that and, and having been That's in that. Be scary. It is scary, especially when it's not so simple as, okay, we know what the mechanism of injury is. We understand why this is happening. It's, it's much more scary when it's like, uh, we got to figure out why this person's dying or they are going to die right now. So yeah, uh, time is on your, not on your side, right? No, it never is. Problem solve and yeah. yeah. And you know, I'm usually not the one, uh, my, what I do is not the person who makes decisions and all that, but I work on a skeleton crew. So it's like, uh, I'm much more involved in the actual emergency situation than I would be in say a large hospital setting or something like that. Uh, so I've been in that situation, man, and it's crazy for everybody. So, uh, well, man, thanks I'm- for doing the work. I mean, shit, I wouldn't be here for you know people that can think sharply in highly stressful situations and just being on it. I mean, yeah, for sure, that, man. Yeah, thanks. Abs- absolutely, man. Thank you for saying so. Yeah, it's great, man. I I always like to I like to think that it, it also you know it prepares you for. Uh, well, it kind of trains you. It's kind of a cross trainer, the psychedelic experience and doing that kind of work because the psychedelic experience can often help you to stay present, control, and focus the lessons that you learn on the other side. And then sometimes in the psychedelic experience, things start to get out of hand and you can say, well, I've dealt with this in real life. Like I've, I've seen death firsthand. So it makes it um, – it's a good cross trainer for both things, in my opinion. Now, some people in my field would probably disagree, but I guess that's neither here nor there. I I, I would definitely agree. Um, yeah, and you know, thinking back about that experience, I think I was like eerily calm for what was going on. Like, you know, I was like trying to like I remember one of the first responders was like, he was so good. He was trying to take his own pulse because my fingers are cold. This is like when he was up on the mountain. And then when I got to the ER, they're like, you know, snipping my clothes off. And I'm like trying to give them instructions on taking off my boots. I'm like, yeah, I got it. Like, I can do it. And they're just like, this kid's like dying and he's so cooperative. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> odd. Uh, it's odd that you mentioned that because that's quite often the state that people are in when I by the time they get to us. And if they are in that the way you said it, golden hour or if they are in that uh, place where their life is seeping away from them most oftentimes they're very calm and and almost uh yeah it seems to be like a blissful or a non-ordinary state to where they you know i'm not sure if it's their body their physiology letting them go or you know i mean i guess we could postulate on that all day what is causing that but uh quite often in that situation i when i see patients like that they are very calm and very cooperative and very uh, unanxious, which, you know, the rest of us are hustling and bustling and trying to do all these things around them. And they're kind of just like allowing That's it to I happen. Felt. It was like I could, I could feel all the anxiety and the energy in the room. And I was like, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm just kind of doing it. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Like, I wonder too, like how, I mean, you know, I'm sure as a tech and doctor and nurse, like you're not thinking about some of this um, phenomenology that could be occurring. But I wonder if like people in your field think about that later on at some point of like, what's actually going on there? Like, have you had reports of like these near death experiences or people were talking about like being in the room with you and 
Like, I don't know, how are people in the medical field perceiving that or maybe asking questions about it? I haven't had an opportunity to speak with anybody that like, say has come in in an acute situation and, and then survived. And then I've never had that opportunity to kind of talk with him Mm -hmm. post post incident. Um, and to be honest, man, uh, we don't discuss that much because like you just said, it is such a, uh, jarring thing when it happens. You're, you're prepared on at a certain level, but working in the emergency room, you don't know what's going to happen from minute to minute. And some yeah. days, can, some days can be quiet, like all day long. You know, you have sniffles coming in, cough, X, Y, and Z. And then all of a sudden you have somebody come in who's gunshot or who's, you know, been in a traumatic accident. And that's a very uh, jarring experience, even though you prepare yourself to, to deal with these throughout the day. And so often you're so caught up in the, uh, just being a part of the team and doing what you can to get this person stabilized and whatnot that I don't know. It just doesn't come up. We, we just don't, I don't remember ever having a conversation like that with any of my doctors or coworkers to be totally honest with you. Um, it's, it's just the nature of the work that we do now, maybe in the hospital surgeons and stuff, they may have time to talk about that and, and think about, right. about those kind of things. But I don't remember having that conversation with anybody, but you know what? Maybe I'll start doing that. Yeah. I just always wonder like, you know, the things that people see in emergency rooms. I wonder, I mean, as you said, it's very jarring. And I wonder if like, you know, you've ever sat and thought about like, what is this person actually going through from like the consciousness perspective? But I'm also glad people aren't thinking about that in the emergency room because, you know, if you're too in touch with that, then it's like, you know, you may not be making critical decisions right so you have to really remove yourself from absolutely like you that. have but i always wonder about like uh, the downtime like you know like uh, i have like a week off it's like what the hell just happened there like seeing uh, oh like, dude interesting I, things <laughs> i i personally think about it all the time and i write about it a lot and uh mm. it's it's cathartic for me um to to put those things down uh because yeah i've seen some pretty traumatic some pretty traumatic things especially Early in my career, when I wasn't uh, desensitized to it, you know, so to speak, yeah. like it, initially, it's hard because you're not used to watching people struggle. You're not used to seeing physical violence. You're not used to seeing people die. You're not used to seeing people grieve their loved one, like in the moment as it's happening. And uh, so, all those things are hard to onboard. Um, I but. I can speak for myself and say I personally think about it a lot and I and I definitely write about it and it's definitely cathartic for me and helps me to kind of release it from myself so I can still have that experience in my repertoire uh, technically but that I don't have to carry around uh, a lot of this like emotional uh, kind of baggage that comes with uh, seeing those things and that's not to say that they're not emotionally valuable experiences and it's not that I'm like, I don't want to have that a part of me. Uh, I think that's important uh, to, in, in certain aspects, to be that close to mortality. I think it gives you a different perspective on life. Um, totally. So I definitely, speaking for myself, I mean, I, I've written books worth of shit about stuff that I've seen. And, and a lot of times I'll kind of compare it to a a psychedelic experience or I'll kind of utilize those motifs to help me kind of creatively express it in a way that 
is uh, relieving to me. But yeah, you have to compartmentalize it because you can't be getting all philosophical and emotional when somebody's dying and it's your and you have to help save their life. So yeah, that they don't mesh well in the moment. But uh, after it's all gone down, I think about it all the time. So yeah, it's probably hard uh, not to think about it in the downtime. I always probably think about. Um... You know, the benefit of uh, psychedelics or like MDMA therapy for like first responders and stuff like that, like some of the vicarious trauma that probably comes up of seeing a lot of this shit on a day to day basis. Like it's that's going to be tough to process. Yeah, I don't you know, I don't necessarily feel traumatized. Um, I don't know. I'm good at compartmentalizing things like that. And, you know, I take pride in my work and I enjoy doing it and I feel capable in my role to help when it's necessary. So, you know, I'm not saying it's not in there, but maybe it's a little harder for me to see. And, uh, you know, maybe that, maybe that'll come up and maybe I'll have to deal with that at some point. I'm not sure. You know, it seems, it's hard to see things like that. Uh, sometimes it's hard. It's just hard to see things like that in yourself because you think, Oh, I'm this tough guy. Like I've seen all this stuff. I can handle it. And you don't really understand the effect that it's having on you always. Totally, so, yeah. So that may be something that's a little bit uh, tucked away in there. We'll see one day. It may come up. Yeah. Uh, let's move away from medicine. Um, let's see here. Let's talk about your academic career because I'm interested in possibly going back to school myself and furthering myself academically. Um, how has your academic career shaped your view of these non-ordinary states and what subsequent effect has have those views had on uh, the development of psychedelics today? It's an awesome question. Um, so my academic career was a little unique. Uh, thinking about my undergrad experience, so my undergrad um, was in integral psychology. I, I really um, just say transpersonal psychology. I went into a transpersonal program and then the <coughs> advisor kind of changed it a little bit, but I was like, I'm sticking to the transpersonal roots. Um, so the the school that I went to was very experiential. And so, you know, I was doing a lot of inner work there. You know, like I was getting credit for holotropic breath work. I was getting credit for going away for a week um, to at my teacher's house, camping in his yard, doing Jungian dream analysis on my dreams and, and really engaging in a lot of deep inner work. You know, I had like shamanic intensives where like, you know, I uh, would go again, camping out camping for a week and do like shamanics uh, healing stuff with my teachers. And so it was a very, very unique school, very kind of experiential. And, um, you know, I say that is like the basis of, uh, I was actually talking to uh, an advisor from that school last night. He wasn't my advisor, but he came in towards the tail end and he's like, Oh, how was your education there? I was like, it was phenomenal. Like it was just so unique. And I think it was actually um, more unique than my grad program. And I think I actually did a lot more inner work in that program than I did during my counseling degree. <laughs> so that says something about, you know, th this this program I was in, um, just because it was so experiential and so kind of like depth oriented in the sense of like, you know, all these classes had intensive journal prompts and like, 
just you know really digging into this material and and um you know you had to show up for it and the people that didn't show up for it really didn't do well in the school they ended up like kind of either dropping out or doing whatever so i would i would always create like independent studies and just really wanted to learn all this different stuff so um, that's where I ended up training in um, transpersonal breathwork. Our teachers and our, our holotropic breathwork trained. Um, that's where I met them. I started training with them, um, did some shamanic studies there, got trained in Reiki, um, just studied plant medicine. Like I spent a, a summer with an Abenaki elder who those are the uh, native people in the Vermont area. And uh it was just very unique. So then, you know, I, I spent some time after graduating in the mental health field. I worked with uh, at-risk teens. I was a shift supervisor as, at, at a residential home. Um, crisis stabilization. It was a seven to ten day program um, stabilizing at-risk youth that were coming in for high suicidal ideation or suicide attempts. Um, and then spent some time working with people with uh, early episode psychosis in another home. And, you know, as I was doing that work, it really helped me kind of formalize like how how to work with people. And you know, I realized like I really want to go back to school to be able to do counseling. I don't know if I really want to just do residential care um, most of the time. I want to be able to like have some sort of practice by myself down the line. Um, so, and I've always had this goal of like wanting to do psychedelic psychotherapy. I mean, I, I remember stumbling across this work when I was very young and, you know, reading Stan Groff's book. And um, for those that don't know who Stan Groff is, he's a Czechoslovakian American psychiatrist who is a, a pioneer in LSD research. But I remember just reading his book and being like, that is what I want to do with my life. So it's always been part of my goal in, in grad school. I was always kind of going back and forth about it, but, um, you know, it, it definitely fit into what I wanted to be doing. So, um, you know, as you know, you just asked about psychedelics today, I was also creating, I, I created a, a course at, um, my undergrad at Burlington college. We had to do a capstone project and I ended up creating a course called Stanislav Groff's, um, psychology of extraordinary experiences and it was a 16-week course based on uh, or going over like what are psychedelics historical uses of psychedelics um, Stan's theories of holotropic states of consciousness and then halfway through we, we went down to our teacher's house to do a breathwork session and then came back and did um, you know an integration really kind of focused on how do we move these experiences forward in our life so, you know, I had some of this course material as well. And I think that part um, of being an educator, like I also helped co-teach um, a class with our teacher, Lenny, um, called the History of Psychedelics at Burlington College. And we were trying to develop um, psychedelic related curriculum there and um, train people on breath work. Fortunately, the college kind of tanked. But um you know, I think I've I've shifted a lot of that stuff into psychedelics today by having online education um, and and continuing to to teach people about the um, potential here with these substances, how to be safe with them, um, and really kind of focusing on this integration piece. And yeah, that sounds like a very interesting uh, departure from all of the college. Uh, experiences that I've had. <laughs> I think if if more uh, college experiences were like that, more people would be inclined to go and to stay. Um, 
I would yeah, love. <laughs> I didn't want to leave. <laughs> yeah, I bet not, man. That sounds dope. I l- would love to uh, find something like that. But it seems like you guys are kind of creating a. Uh, you guys are creating curriculum to to help teach people these things that you guys have all picked up uh, throughout time. Me and Joe were talking about that briefly, um, and that was next on my uh, list of things to ask you was about these courses that you created. So um, you created these courses. Uh, as actual college courses, the navigating psychedelic lesson. Oh, pardon me. Uh, Stanislav Grof's psychology of extraordinary experiences, what we're just discussing, and also the history of psychedelics. Um, so I'm assuming that those are kind of speaking to your uh, creation of these courses that you were putting together for psychedelics today. You want to tell us a little bit more about those without maybe giving away the the meat of the project. Yeah. So, you know, Joe and I really started this off as a a podcast and I forget how we were talking about wanting to put a course together. Um, But, you know, we noticed that there was a a need to try to educate people on integration and self-care. I think at that point I was helping to manage the MAPS um, integration list and I did that for about a year. And so like coming out of that, I think I I took a bunch of the material from my uh, course and like all these papers that I wrote during Burlington College uh, years and just put together a, a course outline of navigating psychedelics. And so Joe and I just like went through it. We edited it. We recorded a bunch of uh, master classes. I think we had like 12 or 13 interviews with people in the field. Um, just talking about all sorts of aspects of harm reduction and integration and preparation and really just how to stay safe with these substances. And so like our whole, uh, our whole goal here was to like minimize risk and maximize like the potential. And we just see that, you know, more and more people are becoming interested in this subject. I don't know how many emails we've gotten over the years saying like, I read Michael Pollan's book. I, you know, was a child of the sixties. I, I had experiences or, you know, this is my first time, uh, you know, I just read Michael Pollan's book and I'm blown away. I want to have an experience for this first time. So, you know, I think there needs to be a lot of education about safety um, out there, just how to stay safe with these substances. And I think some of it also comes from our experiences of just being naive um, early on. I mean, I, I definitely, after my near death experience, I stumbled across psychedelics and I had a very healing experience. Um, it really helped me kind of recontextualize the trauma that I went through and helped me to kind of put things in a new perspective. But, you know, during, you know, my early 20s, I definitely was kind of going off the deep end here and there, like in, deep in the psychic realms. And sometimes I think it wasn't as beneficial as it probably could have been. And, you know, I found myself in some really dark places and, you know, I think Joe has found himself in some dark places as well. I don't want to speak um, for any of his past experiences, but, you know, really just bringing a lot of this like learned lived experience followed by, you know, an, an academic um, background as well. You know, he, he's got his background in philosophy my backgrounds in transpersonal and and mental health counseling, but we also bring together like our combined years of training with breath work. And so that's like a core of like what we're teaching as well, like our lineage um, with Lenny Elizabeth Gibson at Dream Shadow. Uh, 
is all of our years sitting and also facilitating people in these holotropic states uh, using breathwork as this modality. And, and breathwork can be really intense. Like, I think somatically speaking, like more body oriented, like you see a lot more catharsis at times during a, a holotropic breathwork or transpersonal breathwork uh, state versus like some psychedelic states. I mean, besides when you get into like ayahuasca, where there's a lot of purging that happens for some folks. But breathwork can be a lot of body movement, a lot of vocalization, um, a lot of like, you know, trembling, shaking, um, and it can look really intense. And so, you know, we also bring our experience with that of facilitating and also all the years sitting and, and being there and providing support for people to move through their experiences. And so we're really just combining all you know these years of experiences into our education to try to just teach others about what we've learned and really how to stay safe and how to um yeah just safely navigate this space because uh it feels like new territory at times even though most of these have been around for millennia right i mean we can look at indigenous cultures but i think from a western perspective we don't have much of a tradition here i mean when if when you really think about it it's like the tradition, you could go back to like Greece with the Eleusinian mysteries and, you know, there's speculation of what that um, concoction was based off of. Like maybe it was an ergot derived drink and, and was psychedelic. But I mean, you know, the, this tradition really kind of started and kicked off when Albert Hoffman synthesized LSD. And so we don't have a rich tradition of working with these substances like the um, indigenous and native people do in certain parts of the world. So, yeah, how, how do we just really create this container to explore all these different things and the clinical use as well? And that's one focus is really focusing on the clinical um, use of this stuff. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I was just uh, I just did a podcast with uh, Dr. Ryan Westrom, who oh, wrote. Cool. Yeah, who wrote the uh, Psychedelics Integration Handbook. And uh, we were kind of discussing, you know just from my own personal anecdote, uh, the way that I kind of came into this, uh, I guess this arena of psychedelia or psychedelics is that when I was about 17, uh, a coworker of mine said, Hey man, we're getting some shrooms. Uh, do you want it? And I'm like, what are shrooms? And he's like, Oh, you eat these little mushrooms and they make you feel weird. And you know, yada, yada, yada. So I'm like, okay, I, I think I'm, I'm down to try some of those shrooms. So, um, you know, fast forwarding years ahead, um, I was kind of of that like post internet age, post or you know internet age post McKenna ilk, where uh, you know people are like, hey dude, let's do some acid, and they hand me these tabs. I have no idea what this drug is in the first place. I have no idea the dosage. I have no previous uh, experience with it. I'm in a set and setting that's not ideal, and then I'm having these extremely intense, huge experiences on some psychedelic drug of which I'm still not sure. Um, but I say all that to the point that it's only been recently that there's been, at least in my, uh, in my understanding that there's been this focus on integration and harm reduction and safety. And so I think it's very important that, um, you know, people who are knowledgeable and who are gathering this information and, and uh, compiling it are sharing it with everyone because when, when I was going through the, I would say, the introduc introduction to the psychedelic experience through self-experimentation, 
I had no resources. I had my roommate who's yeah. like, you know, my roommate, the hippie who like has, he has no fucking idea what's going on either, you know? Like, <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, you know, and I keep on having these crazy experiences, but I don't have a container to work through them. And I don't, uh, I don't understand the usefulness of the, you know, low to mid range dose and all, all these different things that it took me a long time to figure out through trial and error. Um, and now you guys have compiled this, uh, curated this amazing resource for people to kind of learn all these lessons in a, in a compacted way. And, and they don't have to spend 15 years making mistakes and like, please God, let this end, you know? <laughs> like, Yeah. And I think that's such a great point. Cause that's how I felt. I mean, after my near death experience, I felt so alone. I didn't really know how to work through that container. Um, and then even with those early psychedelic experiences, I was like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> and so yeah, I think a lot of it is just like those early experiences of me and like, man, I wish there was like, I, I really think about like who I was back in that day. I'm like, what type of resource would I need for that? Um, because, you know, I really spent a lot of alone time trying to figure that out. Like I didn't, you know, I was reading like Stan Groff's book and this and that, but um, like I didn't have a community to talk to. I really didn't know where those resources were to really try to figure out what was going on there. And the integration piece, like, you know, for me, like I think about like the psychedelic integration, but like I think a lot of the, the integration stuff that I approach it from is actually from my near death experience which has been one of the hardest things to integrate. I mean, psychedelics are hard to integrate as well, but, you know, I'm still working on stuff from like 16 years ago from that accident. Um, mm -hmm. And my thing is always like, I spent so much time in my early 20s exploring psychedelics, thinking that there was going to be an answer, that I was going to work through some thing. I was going to understand the secrets of the universe because I kept a associating these states with death realms. And I felt like if I could keep going back in there, I could understand, you know, the answers to my near death experience and life and, you know, all these deep philosophical questions. And I kept hitting a barrier and like just kept getting the same message. And it was like, just go back and do this work. And that's like, you know, once I started to um, engage in breath work, I started to realize, oh, wow, I can get to these states without the substance. Um, and breath work actually taught me to like embody this a little bit more and actually process some of the trauma in a different way. Um, and so, you know, a lot of my focus has been like, how do we take these very powerful experiences and learn how to bring that down into our daily life and embody it so we don't have to keep going back in there? Because I think that's where a lot of risk happens is when we're kind of like dazzled by the jewels in that realm and think like something, you know, we're going to come across this secret answer to, to life. And we're so entranced by it that we just keep going back and back and back and back. Um, and, you know, the more onion layers you peel back, sometimes it starts getting weirder and weirder. And so how do you really learn to, to take that and integrate it into your life to actually bring the magic down here? I think what death has taught me the most is like, this is a pretty magical experience, this, this life. And I think a lot of um, people, especially in like the transcendent new age kind of spirituality is like, 
we really want to transcend this body. We want to kill our ego. We want to like, you know, live in this ultimate bliss. And um, over the years, I've really kind of embodied this belief that there's a lot of magic here. And this is the only thing that you know. And how can you really um, take what you've learned from these experiences and have it show up on a day-to-day basis? Like, how could you go outside and just see the psychedelic magic in the wind blowing the grass and watching nature do its thing, watching the birds just like fly and fight in the air or pick seeds out of the ground. Like it's a pretty beautiful thing when you're able to really embody some of that Mm -hmm. magic that you felt from these profound um, states in everyday life. Well, you have to, you know, you have to practice like what you're talking about with the breath work and, and noticing those things. Um, you have to practice that or it doesn't come, it's not that easy. You know, we get so caught up in our, you know, I got to go to work. I got to pay my bills. I got to do this. I got to handle my social media. I got to run my business, yada, yada, yada. That if we don't take time to practice, uh, being with ourselves and being quiet and being in nature and, you know, even, even the psychedelic drug is a, uh, distraction at times. It's like, you don't need to trip your balls off to have profound and connecting experiences. You just need to go sit outside every, you know, every day for five, 10, 15 minutes, breathe, listen, look. And like, if you do that for a little while, your body will start to kind of, uh, crave that, you know, your body and your mind will start to crave that quiet, that stillness, that connectedness. Um, and you know, for some people, for me, the psychedelic opened that door, you know, it showed me like, Hey, look, you, it's, you can be connected and it doesn't require yeah. you, doesn't require you to have this just mind fuckery of an experience. Like you can just go sit outside and just be quiet and you can achieve profound, you know, as profound as necessary. Like what's more profound than just enjoying and appreciating that you're alive in this body in this time like you are you're alive in the furthest of the future that's ever existed every moment of your life is like the distant future you know like what's not to find profound and crazy about that no one has ever lived beyond what you exist right now maybe another like multiverses and time frames and stuff like that i don't who knows about that but but, you know, this is the furthest point in the future that's ever existed. And it's, uh, you know, just to think about those kind of concepts. And, uh, yeah, I agree with you. You know, it's not always necessary to have these mind-boggling psychedelic experiences. Now, they can open the door and they can crack you open and there's merit in them and there's power there for totally. sure. Um, but there's merit and power and uh, great experience in simple everyday life if you're able to look and see And, you know, that's one thing that like I was to digress slightly that I touched on earlier is that my close proximity to mortality and, you know, sometimes mortality is not uh, acute and fast and violent. Sometimes it's slow and it's and you see it over time. Like I just wrote this piece uh, last week. I had a patient, a young lady who came in and she had already had a cancer diagnosis. She's 19 years old. And so I, I run the scan on her mm. and I can see that her cancer has metastasized to, from her pancreas to her liver stage four. Like, that's it, dude, you know? And it's like, Jeez. I just sit there and I think, and, you know, recently I've been going through a breakup with a longtime uh, partner 
And, you know, these things are kind of, I've, I've had to move to a new place. So these problems are kind of mounting up on me. Problems, right? And so, like, I see this scan and I have this experience with this patient care with this young lady. And I'm like, dude, your problems are nothing, like, by comparison. It's, and you know, maybe not even to compare, but it's like, think of the reality of your situation and versus the reality of her situation. It's like, you know, it's a, it's a profound moment and it's... uh but it's not, it's not like that kind of violent rapture of the psychedelic experience. It's like this, and you know, she came back in like a week later. And so I saw her again and got to say mm. hi to her again, you know, and it's like, she, she comes to our facility often. So I kind of just bump into her and I, and I kind of get to see it play out and not get to, but I'm kind of privy to uh, this kind of slow, uh, slow burn as it were. And, uh, Man, that's, mm. you know, that's crazy shit to see too, because one day she's not going to come back, you know, like she's, and that'll be that. And I'm not sure what the point I'm trying to get at there is, is but uh, yeah, that. Well, I think it's the appreciation for life, right? <laughs> and, you know, I, I heard, heard you say something about just keep going back in. It, it made me think about like the concept of spiritual bypassing of just kind of keep going in, keep going in, keep going in and, and maybe not like actually integrating anything. But, you know, I think, um, I don't know for me and, you know, it's probably part of my narrative because death, I feel like just kind of um, hangs out on my shoulder from that accident. But I mean, when, you know, I come, when I've come back from some of those really deep psychedelic experiences, um, you know, the one thing I'm like, thank God I'm back here. You know, like I am so yes. grateful to be alive. I want to just appreciate everything. And I think that's also kind of what death shows you as well. It's like, how do I just show up and enjoy the moment and, and just be grateful and thankful that I'm here breathing and living? And, you know, um, I'm sure working in a place like that where you're seeing that and also seeing long, drawn out processes, especially with somebody so young, I mean, yeah. You know, that would definitely have me reflecting on, like, how am I showing up on my day to day? Um, and I always kind of come back to this quote. I'm probably paraphrasing, but I, I don't know if it's from a book or just something a teacher told me during this death and dying class. But it's, um, you know, how we live our life is how we prepare for death and how we prepare for death is how we live our life. Um, so for me, and I think this is also what psychedelics have taught me, it's like, how do I show up um, and live each moment as if I'm going to prepare for death because each moment could be be your last right yeah um and how do you want to show up um for that and, and show up in life and appreciate every little moment um mm -hmm. that life has to bring you yep and those are lessons that can only be learned in certain ways you know and uh and yeah. psychedel psychedelics are one being privy to the actual death of a person is one um it and you know, for the other stuff, you have to practice at it, man. I don't want to practice watching people die. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, no, a, it's not a good, it's not a good practice to have. Uh, so I'd rather practice sitting outside in the sun with the birds twittering and, and breathing and, and feeling that connectedness. Um, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned, uh, something about the psychedelic and dying. I had this really crazy experience the other night. I actually haven't done this in like 15 years, but uh, I had some salvia laying around. And oh, I, nice. I know, right? I mean, I'm like, oh man, I'm 17 again. And, uh, but I was like, for some reason, I, I felt like I had this, like, I felt like I had this draw to this salvia. So I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, 
I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna take a little rip. I'm not gonna take uh, like a white wall of bong like I would have when I was a kid, but uh, so I take a pretty good rip of this salvia and I feel the kind of elongating, like pulling apart effect. You know, salvia is always very not a good feeling for me, never. And uh, so I instantly forget that I've used salvia. I instantly have a dissociative experience where I'm outside of my body and I believe that I've gone out my back door to look at the stars and I'm out, mm. I'm out in the back looking up at the stars and I feel this like tractor beam like sucking my soul back to my body. And, but I don't know that I – to me, I'm still just myself outside looking at the stars, right? I don't understand that this is a, a hallucination or what's going on. Um, and so I'm like – it's like kind of pulling me back. It's like come back to me, come back to me. And I'm like, oh, uh, I get this fear. Like I don't want to go back. Like I don't, I don't want to go back. And uh, it's like, just trust me, just, mm. just trust me, come back. If you come back, like everything's going to be okay. And it's like, my soul is like reverse walking back to my body. I see my body like slumped, like right here on the couch. And wow. I'm like, okay. And I'm asking, I'm like, is this going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? And like, she's just telling me, it's like a feminine uh, spirit. And she's telling me, just trust me. It's going to be okay. You're going to be reborn. It's Okay. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to trust you because this is really fucking scary. And I don't want like, you know, cause I'm at this point, I'm starting to kind of come back to reality and things are, it's starting to re kind of, uh, configure. So I like put my feet in my physical feet and like lay back down into my body. And I'm like, I'm back like in my body. And dude, wow. I, I cried and cried and cried just to be like reborn back here, you know, just to be back. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, I think that was the most powerful experience I've ever had with just being so grateful to be back, you know? And uh, that was really, really crazy. Uh, I don't know if I want to do that again anytime soon, but it was it was really a beautiful experience. And that's the that's the only good experience I've ever had uh, on that, on Salvia that wasn't just horrifying, you know? But uh, anyways, that's just to speak to what you're talking about, being grateful to be here, you yeah. know, something. Sometimes that's what the psychedelic experience shows you. Like it's not all green grass and high tides on the other side, man. Being alive and, and just being yourself is really, really fucking cool sometimes. <laughs> I, I completely agree. Yeah, and I think some of my like most intense experiences, that was like the main lesson was like, how do you just appreciate this moment? Because you may never experience this moment ever again. Yeah. You know, and you're like, shit. Yeah. I want to I want to soak this up. <laughs> Yeah, I know it was it was like it was like a rebirth and uh you know I was I was given that kind of classic psychedelic uh choice like are you going to trust me or are you going to struggle? And mm. you know it's like I was like okay okay I want to struggle but I'm going to trust you and it ended up being beautiful because I like was able to let go and I was like yes I did it I did a good job I let go. And uh you know a lot yeah. of times a lot of times you don't do that and you have a rough a rough experience but uh that, that one was yeah, quite thanks, nice. for, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, and I think the letting go part is so hard um, yeah. in those. And salvia, and it's, it's just a weird, weird plant. I mean, I don't want to say weird as bad. I think it's just very unique, and the experience is just very strange, right? And I mean, a lot of people yeah. don't like it because of like the somatic stuff. The mm -hmm. you know, people talk about like gravity pulling and twisting at you, and um, it, it's just very hard to explain. I 
I think the last time I, I did Salvi was probably like when I was like 19 or something. Yeah. It was just so strange. <laughs> yeah. It, but it was odd. It was like, uh, it was like it, I don't know. I bought the Salvia just to kind of have it in the repertoire. And then I don't know. It just kind of called to me. It was like, do it, like do it. And I'm like, okay. All did, right. you, did you smoke it? Yeah, I smoked it. Yeah. See, I'm really interested um, in experimenting with like tinctures. Yeah, um, and the chewed, because, the chewed like, leaves. Yeah, because that's how it's traditionally um, done. And I've always heard from you know different people that the salvia plant doesn't like to be burned. And like, how does that, that how does that play a role in the, what type of experience you're gonna have? Yeah, uh, I don't know though, man. I, I'm not keen on having that salvia experience last for a long time. Because it's not comfortable for me, man. I don't like the. Uh, this is another thing. We're gonna we're gonna tie it up here in a second because we're going on an hour, and I know you're a busy guy. I don't like the somatic effect of it. It feels mm. like when I feel my body start to pixelate and melt and be rendered like just torn to pieces. I'm like, oh shit, why did I do this? <laughs> like, I don't like that. It's like a zipper. It's like. It's an You're... uncomfortable feeling. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, that's so interesting. I feel like I've heard other people describe it as a zipper feeling. Yeah, as well. It's like huh. it's like the corners of your mouth are being unzipped. Your eye, like all the orifices of your body or orifice are being like unzipped. I don't know. It's <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> um, uh, dude, do me a favor real quick and uh, just tell me what uh, exactly somatic means the way you're using it for our listeners who may not be familiar. Um, because that was a term I was unfamiliar with until recently. Can you describe the term you're using somatic, uh, psychology? Sure. Yeah. So somatic comes from the Greek word soma and soma just means body. Um, so when I talk about somatic psychology, it's more of a body oriented psychology, um, and so somatic uh, techniques could be something like breath work, um, could be something like yoga, movement, dance. Um, from a body psychotherapy perspective, um, you know, all those are valid techniques, but also um, thinking about how do you use the intelligence of your body um, to help process information. Um, so when you look at something like um, techniques like somatic experiencing or, or hakomi, um, you know, these are um, somatic body-oriented therapies that help you process trauma in a different way so for example like you know maybe if you've been through some sort of trauma and you're suffering with anxiety maybe you feel like this anxious pit in your stomach all the time and it just doesn't feel good and you know typically we think about like how do we push that away we don't want that and coming from like this somatic approach it's how do you start to befriend that experience in your body and, you know, possibly bring it in and become curious because, you know, the body has this inner healing intelligence that maybe it's trying to tell you something. Um, so it's a different way of dealing with um, emotions and feelings, um, you know, trying to move away from this top-down cognitive approach of needing to analyze, needing to intellectualize everything, needing to like, you know, reprogram. Um, but really from this bottom up approach of how do I um, learn the intelligent nature of my body and, you know, 
be able to regulate my nervous system so when i'm starting to feel like a fight or flight response come on i can um you know control that get that under control if i feel myself getting triggered how could i use certain techniques to get grounded or maybe process that so i don't continue to like act out in a way right mm-hmm. so yeah it's just it's just really is about body um, yeah yeah i've kind of stumbled across the healing powers of that type of work myself just by accident. I mean, I just love to, I love lifting weights and yoga and, and I'm, I'm very, very novice at breath work. I wouldn't even call it breath work. I've just kind of like tried to uh, learn how the, the Wim Hof technique and this and that. And me and Joe talked well, it's about a form that. of breath work. Like uh, yeah. breath work is an umbrella term, right? And there's so many sure. different practices and tips and techniques. So but I'm, I'm so novice at best at it, at, uh, I've just dipped my toe into that world, but I've had some pretty profound experiences and not to beat a dead horse for my listeners. Cause they've heard me talk about those before. Uh, and I just talked about them with Joe, but I'm very interested in, in delving deeper into that. And I'm, I'm, you know, for the past, probably close to a year since my, my last ayahuasca, uh, experiences, I've been really more interested in the breath and, and, uh, somatic, uh, practices, because uh, I just saw a lot of people utilizing that to their benefit. And I saw, I just saw a lot of that coming out of people during this uh, ayahuasca experience. And, and some of it was for healing their own trauma. And some of it was for them utilizing these techniques to maintain their composure or maintain their focus or whatever during ceremony. So I thought that was very interesting. I was like, I need to add that to my repertoire if I'm going to be out here drinking this jungle juice because some crazy shit (laughs) yeah i think some of these practices and techniques are really helpful for that navigation um for trying to regulate your system while you're in those states i mean i just got back from costa rica and had um four ceremonies and um you know i didn't have any of the purging and i was really doing a lot of somatic processing during those sessions breathing into difficult experiences difficult emotions letting my body shake and knowing that the shaking is part of the healing process and not being so afraid of it and really listening to my body and you know i had four very beautiful experiences and i think like being able to like utilize these different techniques in these spaces can really help you move through things um in a different way so i think i don't know i'm biased though <laughs> yeah right i'm becoming that way you know i it, you know psychedelics were always kind of the cerebral mind candy thing for me but they've become more of a spiritual and even physical practice now and or they've led me they've opened my they've opened the door for me to uh explore other uh realms of of wellness and wholeness and things like that uh let's wrap it up man why don't you tell us here at the very end uh, where uh, our listeners can get in touch with you, what projects you'd like to talk about, and uh, we'll close it out with that. Man. Sure. Thanks, Clinton. Um, so you can find me at psychedelicstoday.com, um, Psychedelics Today on any podcast platform that you listen to. If you want to check out any of our online education, that is at psychedeliceducationcenter.com. We have some free courses up there, free intro, um, eight common mistakes of psychedelics, um, uh, a course on or a webinar on spiritual emergence versus psychosis. Um, and then we have our navigating psychedelics for clinicians and therapists course up there. And then one course that I just wrapped up um, that I really enjoyed. And if you're interested in shadow work, we put together a course called psychedelics in the shadow, exploring the psychedelic, 
exploring the shadow side of psychedelia um mm-hmm. that was super fun to put together and just like a really interesting course talking about like you know even just this idea of <clears throat> in the psychedelic community like wanting to just like destroy the ego um and how could we maybe even approach that from a different perspective and invite the shadow in and invite the ego in and not necessarily want to destroy it so that's that was a really fun course and that's donation based um so you know whatever you want to donate for that starts at ten dollars um and then you know if you if anybody wants to check out more of my personal um work settingsunwellness.com and that's on instagram as well so yeah thanks for thanks for having me Absolutely. What was that last website? What was your uh, your personal website? Uh, settingsunwellness.com. Setting sun. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's been uh it's been great to have you guys on. I honestly can't believe that this is even happening. This is a fanboy moment for me. I didn't explain this oh, in cool. the beginning, but I'll just go <laughs> ahead and do it briefly because I've been listening to your guys' show for so long and like you know, there are certain guests that I have in my mind that I'm like, "Okay, once I get this guest to agree to be on my show, then I've made it like personally, you know, (laughs) like, uh, so I've had James Gesso. Now I've had you and Joe. And so these are like, just kind of like super cool moments for me just to meet and talk to you guys. And, you know, it turns out that you guys are super cool. And like, uh, I'm just thankful that you guys are willing to, uh, uh, come be on a, a marginal show and, uh, do your thing. So thank you so much. Yeah, man. Thanks for inviting me. And, you know, something that I learned along the way, like I definitely, when I started off, I was really nervous to reach out to certain people. And I'm like, this person would never be on this show. They have no idea who I was. Um, And sometimes I still feel like that with some folks, but, uh, you know, everybody in this uh, community or field has been so generous with their time. And, you know, I think we're kind of all in this together. So, and it was really great chatting with you. Loved the conversation, loved the questions and felt like I kind of went a little bit off of my normal spiel, which I like, I don't always like to do the prescriptive thing. So thank you for being open to other conversations here. Absolutely. And no, that's interviewing you guys who are podcasters. That's oftentimes what, what I've heard is that, you know, you guys appreciate not being, uh, not being the interviewer and being able to kind of go off and talk about uh, other things. So I try to, I try to platform that. And, uh, man, uh, for my listeners, psychedelics today is one of my all time favorite podcasts. I'm sure that people listening to this show are fully aware of, of your show already, but I highly recommend it if you haven't heard it. And, uh, once again, man, thank you so much for doing the show and we'll, uh, end it here. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. And there it is, boys and girls of the Psychedelicast multiverse. Uh, that's That concludes our duo of conversations with the homies from Psychedelics Today. An absolutely fantastic podcast. I cannot fanboy enough. It's literally... It's literally the best psychedelic podcast on the planet and one of the best podcasts, period, and it's one of my all-time favorite shows. So I'm sure you guys are all familiar and aware with the show. If you're not, go check it out. Uh, Kyle and Joe, thank you guys once again so, so much for coming on the show. We're going to do our quote, and we're going to leave you guys with that. We'll leave you with a little excerpt from uh, the great and powerful Tim Leary. I don't think we've quoted him yet. Uh, Tim Leary says... Everyone carries a piece of the puzzle. Nobody comes into your life by mere coincidence. Trust your instincts, 
do the unexpected, find the others. Thanks again for joining us, Psychedelicasters. We love you, baby. Y'all be good. And we appreciate you for spending time with us in the attempt to pry open the third eye. Take care. <laughs>